This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets, just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. Welcome to the LTID Network podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson, and today I'm speaking with Evie Casagrande. Evie was a scholarship athlete playing for the soccer team at Bowling Green State University, where she got her bachelor's degree in pre-medicine. After graduating, she played semi-professionally at Toledo Villa, before pursuing a master's degree in kinesiology at Bowling Green State University and serving as the sports performance coach for the soccer team there, before becoming the sports performance coach with the Division I soccer team. In 2018, she joined US soccer as a network sports scientist providing support for the girls' youth national teams. And additionally, she was the director of sports performance at the Redline Athletics Youth Athletic Training Center. In 2019, she became the head strength and conditioning coach for the Orlando Pride before taking the post of women's and girls' sports scientists at an FA Women's Super League Club. So welcome to the podcast, Evie. It's awesome to have you on. I know you're busy in the midst of pre-season planning and getting ready for the, the next season coming up. So thanks for taking the time to speak to me today. Thank you, Rob. I'm, I'm honored to be here. So I'm excited for today. <laughs> so for those who don't know you and don't know your, your backstory, give us a bit of an idea of how you fell in love with sport as a youngster and how that has transitioned into coaching in many different countries and different clubs and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, um, actually, I'm from Brazil, so uh, I grew up in the, the country football, soccer, like many people say, but um, I grew up, my, my dad was a professional uh, football player, my stepdad was a professional futsal player, so my entire family was surrounded by football, so I, since I was young, I, I grew up playing with, with boys because it was not very normal to have a lot of uh, girls playing. Um, it was not until I think I was 13, 14 that I actually got into uh, a girls futsal team in my school. Um, and then I, you know, decided to do a, a trial for uh, under 17 national team, Brazilian national team, just kind of, you know, I'm just going to try it out and ended up, you know, staying until till the end. I'm like, okay, I need to, to pursue this because I might be, uh, I, I might be good. And um uh, you know, I went to a club called Atletico Mineiro, who is a top club, uh, men's club in, in my hometown. I, I played there for about two years and then studied in an American school to learn English because my English was very basic. And, and then I knew that I needed to stay away from Brazil because I still wanted to pursue my education and couldn't do that there for both. 
Um, so I worked very hard to be good in my English, um, get stronger and fitter to, you know, be able to handle the American style of, of playing. Uh, and then went there for 2010, I went there with a soccer scholarship to Ohio. I picked the, the coldest place in, in America um, with negative 30 degrees Celsius in, in winter, but I just want to stay away from Brazilians, not, not like personally, but I just needed to kind of force myself to learn the language. And I knew that if I was around Brazilians, that wouldn't happen. So I was the first international student athlete of, of that program, which was very cool and um, stayed there for four years, uh, graduated and then moved all the way to California. I was a pre-med at the time. I, I wanted to, to go to med school actually. Uh, but you know how life kind of goes in different directions. And I was like, yeah, I cannot, I don't have money to afford as an international uh, for medical school in America. So uh, I decided to work in like five different jobs in California because I needed to sustain myself and, and, and started coaching kids in parks, um, just uh, coaching soccer per se. And then um, it's just like, oh, I like this. I like coaching kids. And, I, and that might be something that, you know, I might pursue further. Um, and then 2015, I was able to be a volunteer for Special Olympics in Los Angeles. And I fell in love with just how, you know, how those special athletes were able to do what they were doing. And as soon as they were in the court or on the field, all of a sudden, any special need that they needed out of the window, they were like, oh my gosh, it's for me, it was incredible. I'm like, I, I want to coach athletes. I want to be able to see this. I want to be able to impact um, athletes. And, and that's when the opportunity came to go do a master's in kinesiology back in Ohio again. And then I fell in love with sports science. And then since then, I kind of, I always I'm very, I push myself a lot to, to be the best that I can and to learn with the best people. And I was able to go in England and do some mentorships in Switzerland and do a professional trip, uh, intern with that uh, Exos, LA Galaxy. And then I found my way to Michigan, was director of sports performance there, got to Orlando to be a sports performance coach for Orlando Pride, which was my dream to coach Marta, which for me was amazing experience. And then fast forward for last year, I, I had to move to uh, Europe because my uh, partner's visa was about to expire with COVID, she lost her job. And, and here I am in England at Brighton. Um, loving every second of it, although I hate the weather, um, but I'll get used to it. Um, it's not minus 30, so it can't be that bad. It's not, it's, <laughs> not, it's just the rain, but it's okay. Um, Brighton's lovely. I mean, you can walk 10 minutes, you're in the sea, you walk 10 minutes, you're in the South Downs, which is unbelievable. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of like a, a short version of uh, my life until here. Hmm. So it seems like you're not someone who's afraid to push outside their comfort zone, playing with the boys, moving to America, moving to somewhere super cold. Seems like your comfort zone, you're, you're more than happy to push that. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, it was very funny because I, I did a, a very cool reflection diagram. Um, I think I actually Don Scott was the one that uh, mentioned that to me once about doing like a reflection diagram with your values and stuff. And it was a, it was a very cool kind of going back from 2007, 2008, when things started to go. And then until 
this year and how much I've learned and how much I had to kind of reinvent myself. And, um, and it was just kind of, you know, crazy 11 years. And, but I can't complain because it was so, so much growth. And every day I'm continually to, to be pushed person like my personal and professional career. So it's been great. Yeah, it's awesome. I think it's an interesting one. I've spoken to a few, fair few female athletes and had a, a former player that I used to coach on here is a, a Scotland Women's Rugby International. And she was reflecting the same thing, having to, you know, having limited opportunities to play with peers in terms of female peers and having to join in with the boys at a young age. And it's an interesting question because it's kind of obviously maybe not ideal, but I think in some situations that maybe forces people to just they get better at being more resilient perhaps because it's like this is the situation if I want to play I've just got to get stuck in with these with the guys and you know when opportunities open up later on it's kind of like they've built a bit of resilience by having to overcome I guess a, a bit of difference there 100% and I think it, having the flexibility too to understand that you might have your roadmap planned in details but then when you go back at it, you say, wow, that was completely 180 degree turn. And it's okay because it was actually better that it went that way because now I'm, you know, I, I'm just way more passionate about sports performance than what I was with medicine. Um, so I think embracing those, those challenges, embracing the, the back roads that that journey might take I think it's key because it, it will lead to to better, probably better routes and and and, and growth. Mm, that's cool. So I have to ask, what was it like coaching Marta? Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> it, we were, we were almost like two two kids because I am so passionate about what I do, and she's literally the most passionate, competitive pl player and person I've ever seen in my entire life. I learned so much with her and, and every day, like we, we always talk and I, I miss her dearly, but it's, um, it was just so much growth for me to just see her, how humble she is with where she's coming from and um, everything that she's done. And I, we kind of bonded a lot because of that, because we both have different stories, but we all kind of left our families and to pursue our dreams. And, and here we are kind of like, in completely uh, different countries and, and achieving all those things. So I think definitely I looked up to her a lot when I was a kid and I still look up to her after our culture because I, I got to see, you know, closely. So you've obviously been involved in coaching female athletes across age spans, right up to, to Marta, down to the, the kind of kids level. Looking back, what have you noticed about any particular trends to do with injury around different um, phases of development and maturation is there anything that stands out to you yeah to be really honest I think based on my experience there's so many variables involved in that that I, I don't think there is specific trends I just think that as coaches we kind of have almost to zoom out and see their environment because uh, a lot of the time especially when you're coaching uh, youth athletes and it's not like a team environment where you don't have like a lot of control what they do without you close I think there's a lot to do with training age how much they do outside of it um in terms of education of the coaches the the skill coaches uh how much training they do I think based on 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 my experience that's the biggest thing that I've noticed the the, the players that had the most injuries around growth maturation and all that there was a mixture of training load there's a mixture of 
menstrual cycle, mixture of not being able to, you know, um, move well and not having the motor control to move well. Um, the nutrition aspect, players that wouldn't eat well. I, I had so many young players that would get to the facility and, and then you would see them like eating Burger King before training. So those are the athletes that if, when you kind of go through and, and do almost like a analysis of everything that you see in your, your daily practice, those are the athletes that are injured the most instead of just like, oh, it goes to the, the, the growth spurt. But I had athletes that moved really well, were strong, uh, did everything really like in a professional way and, and they didn't have a lot of injuries. So I think um, definitely an analysis of like holistic analysis of things, I think it was key to, to understand that those patterns. Yeah, I think that's massive. It's something I try to communicate to my athletes is, is sometimes uh, like it's easy for us to look at things that are obvious in front of us, like, okay, maybe it's movement or maybe it's, uh, you know, the training we're doing here. But if the athlete's going off and doing another sport or training elsewhere and we're not informed of that or no one's monitoring the load, but then as you say, maybe they're sleep deprived and getting up early in the morning to do extra training or going to bed late or eating there's just too many factors there to differentiate. But equally, there's so much area for improvement. If you go, well, actually, maybe it's not a physical training we're doing. Maybe it's everything we're doing behind closed doors in the 23 hours you're not here with me. And, and actually there's a lot of gains to be made yeah and i think we as coaches and i you know i'm humble enough to say that i've made a lot of mistakes during my my first years of my career that we get into this tunnel vision that everything is is the physical aspect of it uh so when i started actually listening to my players more sitting down outside of training and just kind of you know how are you how are you doing how's everything going and actually you know I'm gonna go watch your training one one day of, of the week so I started kind of going to their um, team training and understanding then how normal their practices are how they play how the coach is how the environment is and and then I was able to really understand the full picture but but you're right I think it all comes down to the basics done really well where you kind of have to go through that list, you know, how we, how you're doing in terms of is there if you're a female athlete going through your period, is your menstrual cycle regular? Are you having problems with sleep? Are you eating well? How is your mental state? Are you always stressed? Are you stressed with school? What's going on at school? What's going on at home? So I think that it all has to be correlated. We cannot isolate the physical aspect to the other stuff at all. Yeah, really, um, one of the things I've been leaning into is actually that kind of catchphrase from, from Exos, work plus rest equals success, and trying to, you know, communicate to my players, you know, it's not about doing more, because as that fatigue creeps in, we do everything at like a 60% because we're just fatigued. Mm. You know, actually, that just means our whole training week's really average. Whereas if you take a day off and actually rest, you can come back and hit it at 100% tomorrow, and that's a much better session than doing five sessions, but all really poor, let's get three really good quality ones in and go away and focus. And I think sometimes that's a difficult sell with athletes because it sounds kind of counterintuitive. What do you mean? I'm going to rest and get better? Yeah, so difficult. And I think that it's more and more I see the, the need to educate those athletes early on because even on the professional level, we still struggle educating athletes that wants to do more and more and more. And um, that education is so key because a lot of the times they, and you have to understand their motives. I think that's the biggest thing because sometimes you're like, oh, this athlete, he doesn't 
recover. And we just blame it on them until, you know, and we just need to see where they're coming from, which it always helps how we deal with them. So just sitting in and saying like, why do you struggle recovering? What is it about it? And a lot of the times they're gonna say, you know what, how I feel is if I'm sitting on the couch, I know my competitor is working hard and I'm just here sitting and like, okay, that makes sense. But do that player have the same schedule as we have? Do that player, is that player the same with the same physiology as you? Probably not. So trust in your own process and trust your process rather than looking at other people's and kind of trying to mimic. Cause I think that's, I mean, I was an athlete and I, I played professionally. I know I was completely the type of athlete that was perfectionist. I would do too much, but now that I have a little bit of a more understanding, I knew where I was coming from. Uh, but if I had the education early on and, and saying, you know what, you actually need the rest. And it took me a, a lot of time. And I, I still struggle as a coach to deal with that with my own life in terms of my mental health. Cause that's, I think that's a lot of the times we as coaches forget that it's the same thing as athletes. We're preaching them to recover, but we're, we might not be, you know, exercising, but we are exercising our brain more than ever. So if we don't have that to ourselves, why can we preach them? And then for me, it took like a panic attack that took me to the hospital to understand, oh, wow, I'm, you know, why am I preaching that to my athletes and I'm so horrible in doing the same. So I became a little bit more patient with the process and more understanding of the athletes because I was going through the same thing. Um, so I think that it's, it's a very good exercise and reflection for us as coaches to, to know, okay, am I, pre am I I'm preaching that, but I, am I doing the same? Because athletes see that through. Even like, I remember when I was at, um, here, the, the, the job that I am with the club that I am right now, like I have players follow me on Instagram and they know like, Evie, you're out, like, as soon as you're done, you're always doing more research. You're not always do, reading books. Like how will you have time? So my players know that I'm not doing the same recovery that I'm preaching them. So I think even what we post and what we kind of show our athletes in terms of our, li our life, it has to be something that it kind of correlates with what we're teaching them. Um, so that, that for me was a very big learning uh, that I, yeah, through the last year, that it took me about six years to, to see that. So, um, so it's definitely an interesting topic. Mm. And one of the things you've mentioned a couple of times already, which we wanted to touch on, was around that menstrual cycle. And obviously, you know, it's a it's the topic that I guess previ previously has kind of been taboo or something you didn't really talk about. And it's good to see that discussion happening more and more and people getting more comfortable with that. So in terms of your environment, how do you go about some of those discussions in terms of monitoring and management, both on an individual and in a team scenario like you're in now to, to kind of... Uh, get a handle on what the menstrual cycle is is doing in terms of the ethics in front of you. Yeah, I think the menstrual cycle. I think it, it's uh, people overcomplicate a little bit that that uh, that topic just because I think it's very hard for you to act upon that data, uh, especially if, if you're in a team environment and you're the only coach, or you have one, two other coaches on staff and. It's just hard, like what, what you're gonna, okay, she's struggling with menstrual cycles, she's gonna sit out and, and 
it's not how it is, I think. I think we just have to educate the players and it's a lot of education starting from youth and all the way to the professional where how do you manage your symptoms? And it's so completely okay that you're going to recycle, uh, but you have to have that understanding of your symptoms. So I always explain when I educate them and we do a lot of education at the club that we start with our U12s, U14s and, and just kind of go through, you know, more than just explaining to them through education, oh, you have the follicular phase, you have the, you know, luteal phase. More than that, it's kind of like, what are the practical points that I want my athletes? Because just educating them on that, they're just going to look at me and it's like, oh, okay, hormones, okay. They're not going to understand it. So I try to, to make it very basic and simple terms. And I always, the fact that I'm a female coach, it helps because I've been through it. I go through it and I can really relate to them and they can relate to my um my situation too so i tell them you know there's a specific part of my face that i know that you know and i explain to them about a little bit about the physiology in simple terms and the heart rate resting heart rate all right i get i cannot sleep well i'm stressed and i'm anxious so what do i do i get breathing protocols i i do that simple basic stuff that's going to help me manage that symptom so I do uh, give them a, a bunch of different breathing protocols. Tell, okay, instead of being on your phone for 30 minutes before bed, I want you to put your phone in airplane mode, do that five to 10 minutes breathing protocol, and just let me know how you, sl you, you slept. How, let me know how you feel the next day. Are you feeling a little bit recovered? Um, and I always encourage them to do uh, a journal uh, and there's so many apps now. I, I, I always use the Fit Our Women app. Uh, I think Dr. Je Georgia Bloomvales is the lead expert in this and she's brilliant. And I think she's contributing to the, the field so much with the latest research. And I always tell my athletes, get that app and, and, and just start understanding what happens. And even write down, I know exactly how I feel a week before. So I'm gonna start you know, doing more recovery because I know that I take so much more to recover. I feel very terrible after a high intensity workout one week before I get my, my period. So what do I have to do? I just have to be patient with myself and I'm just gonna do yoga. I'm gonna be easy with myself and say, it's okay to, to kind of take it easy today and be that communicative with your coach and be okay. And I think a lot to do has to come with the coaches to normalize that conversation too. And just kind of, you know, at the point they were just like left, left about it. Like, okay, I'm struggling today. Okay. Let's, let's take it easy. Instead of doing a lot of powerful stuff in the gym, let's just go more motor control, slow, stable. Cause I know when I, on my cycle, I don't want to be jumping around. It, it doesn't feel comfortable. So I will, you know, let's do some stability stuff and more, you know, anything that's going to help them manage those, those symptoms and, and have an understanding of their own body. I think that's, that's key because when, when you're, you know, you stop coaching them, you want them to take that with them. You don't want them to rely on you to be telling what to do. So I, I prefer giving all the tools to them. They test they know it, it helps them and then I'll, they take that with them to just to manage. Um, it's not, I, I don't think it's a point of 
not playing and not practicing, but how we can manage that better. Yeah, it's something that I probably wasn't that, uh, I guess, aware of a few a few years ago until I encountered a, a situation with a female athlete where she kind of revealed to me that she had menstruated for, for you know, five, six, seven months. And that rang alarm bells to me with even my basic understanding. And we started exploring that topic. And, you know, as we kind of, I guess, um, had a more transparent relationship around, we started to get into that idea of almost tracking things. And then, you know, it became a, a case of, ah, okay, yeah. I think are we getting close now because I can tell you're getting a little bit cranky or you, you know these these kind of things and, and it came to a point where we both kind of had an understanding of this is the kind of patterns that we see so I think that journaling is a huge tool because sometimes when you're so close to it you can't see um yeah. and you just think oh someone's having an off day or whatever but actually if if there's that journal in the background you can start to piece together the bit of the pattern and see okay these are kind of the typical responses that we're seeing and then off the back of that we can adapt some things. So what else sits in that toolkit? Because it sounds like you you really uh, have kind of explored some of the tools that athletes can use to manage themselves and their bodies individually during that period. So what what are some of the other tools that you, that you kind of recommend to athletes? Yeah, so I, I think Bruni Procos has like tremendous, tremendously helped me and the athletes. It was, it was one of the presentations that I did with my young athletes and it was, it was very cool because we did it together. So I kind of put a breathing protocol and I said, okay, we're going to do five minutes and, and do it right there. Cause then if you give it to them, sometimes they're not going to do it. So if, if you're like, okay, after a workout, after a very high power workout, um, I tell them, let's do a breathing protocol, 10 minutes with me. All we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to just lay down on the floor and we're just going to listen to this protocol and we're going to just try to breathe. And then once they do it, they're like, oh my God, I feel so good. I feel like so relaxed. And then I start bringing up something that's going to get them to buy in even more. So a lot of the times I say, you know, you know, when we have late night games and, and, and you, you can't sleep, uh, we just literally mimicked the same environment where we did a very high explosive power workout. And I right away gave you a, a very calm uh, stimulus uh, to just calm yourself down. So why don't you try this when you, we play late at night and we, you can't sleep? Now it's literally the same thing that we're doing. So almost all times that strategy to their, their daily routine, because a lot of the times if we teach them something that it's completely isolated to their routine, the, the buy-in doesn't happen that often. Um, so it's kind of almost that, that game of like, okay, how, how am I going to get them to buy in? Okay. I'm going to do it with them. Let's do it together. Um, if you like it, if you like it, then that's a great tool uh, for you. If you don't like it, we'll find different ways. Um, and a lot of, it's not for everybody. You know, a lot of people were not going to like breathing protocols. I remember, you know, Marta, like she hated because she's, She's always so hyper. She's so oh, excited all the time. So for her to slow it down was very hard. So then we'll, we'll, we'll give people another, another tool that kind of mimics the same thing. So we just have to understand that we can't just prescribe and force them athletes to, to, to like what we, we are prescribing. I think we, we have to be very flexible and, and just give them a little bit of autonomy of like, okay, if you have those five tools, which one do you think works best for you? Is it reading a book or is it breathing protocol? It's reading a book. Okay, perfect, done. Um, so I think 
there's a lot of different ways to get that parasympathetic nervous system going. It's not the breathing protocol is not the answer, but it's how it works better for for each individual. I think that's a, not just a, a good uh, idea in, in the situation of menstruation, but I think as athletes understand their bodies better, both from a the training perspective and menstruation perspective, you start to get a picture of, hey, this is what works for me. I really like this kind of training. I really struggle with this kind of training or I respond really well to this the 24 hours before a game. I don't like to eat this because that makes me feel sluggish. And as you get more experience as an athlete, then you start to go, hey, I actually am building a bit of a picture of what gives me the best platform to perform the next day or this week or whatever. And I think you're absolutely right. It's about equipping athletes with, hey, try this and see how you feel. Okay, you don't like that. What about this? Try that. And, you know, it might be completely different for athlete A to athlete B, but both of them have built something around them to go, I like doing these things because it sets me up to perform well. Yeah. And, and that, that, that always correlates too with when you're, um, and you're a coach and then you go to a new environment and you have an athlete that you is doing like an ab circuit that you, you look at and it's like, what is he doing? But that's might be his time to kind of disconnect with the world. We just, the ego is something that we all have as coaches. And I think, you know, I've learned, I would used to take it personally when, when athletes would prefer to do one exercise over what I was prescribing. I'm like, you know what, what are you doing? Like it's whatever, it's good for the athlete. Your job is to of course guide them and prescribe the best way to do it but you can be very smart on how you do it maybe they they still do the same circuit but then you add something to it and it's like okay let's try this one and then all of a sudden maybe they will like that one better and then we'll give up that one day it kind of gives you anxiety or or something like that so i think as an as a coach and, and that relationship with the athlete understanding that you need to listen to them. You need to, and sometimes you get lost and sometimes you just kind of prescribe, 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 and then don't give them any autonomy. And then you have athletes that are almost like ro robots. Like they can't not function without you and without your, without, without your instruction, which is that that's, you, you don't want that. So. Hmm. So what about on the coaching side of things? So obviously there's a bit of athlete education around giving them a bit of a toolkit of, you know, try some of these different options to see what works for you. What about the coach education side of things? What, what have you tried on that, on that avenue? Uh, in terms of educating coaches in, in, in those tools? Yeah, or even just around a better understanding of menstrual cycle and what's happening uh, in female athletes. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think a lot of the times is we almost have to kind of go through those tools ourselves before we prescribe that to, to athletes. And I think that's one of the things that when I'm like mentoring young coaches, I always tell them like, before you prescribe anything, you have to try it yourself and see, because if you're prescribing that to an athlete and, and then all of a sudden they're like, uh, maybe you, you haven't done it right, but you're not going to know if you don't try it. So I think that part of always trying out is the best thing ever because then you if you don't like the breathing protocol then you're going to try a different thing and then you're like oh that might work and then you just kind of collect information to help your athletes anyways so yeah i think trying things out as coaches is is, is huge and um understanding the physiology is extremely important but i think at the end of the day it doesn't matter if you're a female coach if you're a male coach like you said you you, you built that buy-in with your athlete and you're a male coach so a lot of people say, oh, because you're female coach, it, it, 
there is a good point that they relate, we relate, but at the same time, it's the interpersonal um, relationship, is the, the relationship with your athlete and the fact that you're listening to them and they're being heard, that's the key. Uh, so I think sometimes instead of getting lost in the physiology of it and all that stuff, I think we just need as coaches to listen more and just sit down and talk to our athletes. A lot of the times, like if you have like a prehab, pre-activation time, those are the, my favorite times to just have small talks and informal conversations with my athletes to know what's going on with them. Um, and like you said, like you're not gonna know that they didn't like have a, a regular cycle if you're not talking to them. And sometimes it, it shows up in the like craziest conversation that has nothing to do with that that they're like, oh yeah, I was tired, but it's probably because, you know, yeah, my cycle is not regular for seven months. And they're like, well, wait, what? <laughs> and then, then you start the conversation, but um, definitely I think listening and uh, making your athletes feel heard. I think that's the biggest, uh, biggest key above all. I think there's a real kind of um, certainly the way I went about it as a male, as a male coach working with a female athlete was like, well, let's explore this together like you're the expert on you we'll you know i'll read up and, and see what i can learn and, and make some suggestions but you're gonna to have to tell me how that impacts you i liked it i hated it this really helped that didn't help at all and there's no right or wrong answers but in, as an individual you know and as a coaching team and uh, coach athlete relationship we'll figure out this problem together just like we would if it was fixing a squat or you know, teaching to sprint better this is just another performance problem that's arisen that we have to deal with and i and i think looking at it in that way can take away some of that kind of taboo or awkwardness of, of going, Hey, this is just a physical, physical problem, just like any other physical problem. And we we're going to work through it together. Um, and that can kind of, I guess for male coaches approaching this topic, you know, as you say, not having that background of experiencing yourself, it can yeah. feel a bit like, Oh, I don't want to overstep the line or I don't, don't want to say the wrong thing, but coming in up with that bit of like, Hey, I'm, I'm here to support you in whatever way works best for you, but you're yeah. going to have to guide me as much as I'm going to try and guide you. And, and we'll figure this out together is really important. And I think that humility is key. Like you said, it's key because like we mentioned before, we as coaches, we always want to prove that we know everything, but we have to understand that we don't know everything and it's okay to tell our athletes that we don't know. Um, so I think showing that vulnerability and, and showing that, humility um it increases the buy-in from zero to 100 for the athlete just because now they know that you guys have are part of the process together it's not you are telling me this physiology but wait a minute you might know it but maybe you don't know it because you know you don't go through it but once you have that conversation and then they're gonna be like okay let me tell me let me tell you how it is and then now you know and now you just, you know, got this buy-in and, and got this relationship with, with your athlete where there's trust and there's honesty and that's all you need to know. So in terms of the, the situation that you're in, are there any uh, monitoring tools? Is it just individual conversations or is there like, obviously the, the individuals using potentially the Fiddle Woman app on their own basis. Is it then just upon them to come and raise things with you or do you have something as a more a bigger kind of data collection tool even just stuff in terms of I guess how it's affecting sleep or things like that is there anything that sits there for you that you found useful yeah so there's different ways it depends on your athletes and what they have as part of the club we don't use a specific tool but 
we know some athletes that have the aura ring, the whoop, and, and, and again, you have to be very careful on how you pass that information onto them because players normally get addicted to that data and they tend to just look at it and like, oh, wow, my, I have low recovery. I should not push hard today. Um, so that's a, it has to be, it has to come with a lot of education. But like I said, I think building the understanding of that player in terms of having a diary where, oh, you know what, when I actually don't eat a lot of sweets and chocolate, when I'm on this part of the cycle, I actually, my resting heart rate goes down and I feel way more recovered. And then now you start, you're not telling them to look at exactly the data, but now you're correlating with their habits. And, and then now you're actually, you know, teaching them to track that. So I think looking at if they have uh, a ring or a whoop or whatever to track that stuff, you just have to be careful on how you present that information. But I always tend to, when they tell me, oh, I have my low resting heart rate. And then I always go, okay, forget about this number. Tell me what you did last night in terms of your uh, sleep hygiene, what you ate. Oh yeah, yesterday I actually was very good with my nutrition. Okay, so now you're starting to correlate that with your menstrual cycle. And, and then now the athlete understands what they have to continue doing to continue to get that recovery. Um, but some, something simple as just, are you in your menstrual cycle? Yes or no, in a form, just kind of, that's how I started in 2015 with a college team. I was just, it was part of the, the, the questionnaire, questionnaire, the Reddit questionnaire, you were in your cycle, yes or no. I would just put that information on the Google Excel and then put red for the ones that, for the days that they put yes. And then now all of a sudden I have um, an understanding of each player's length of cycle, when that cycle happens, then if, if I'm seeing that they've been on the cycle for longer, then I just have that conversation with them. But that's the, 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 the monitoring part. That's how far we go in terms of, okay, any symptoms are you, and just conversation helps, but I think getting in the forum, just so you kind of know if they're going through, if they're gonna go through ovulation, where they are in the cycle, I think it helps. But what you're going to do in the, with that information, it's very limited in terms of what I actually do in training. Uh, it's more an understanding of my player and then what that conversation outside of training is going to be in terms of, okay, I noticed this. How can we get better in this outside of your training time um, to just manage your, symptom, your symptoms? Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess that kind of discussion, what you're talking about there, going, okay, you know, you, your resting heart rate has changed, but what, what are some of the other behaviors that support that? Kind of takes the discussion away from here's something that is happening to me to here's something I can influence. And okay, if you can influence it once, well, can we repeat that? And can that become a regular habit that when we notice this, we then do this? And that's how we, we manage it. So it kind of takes, I guess, you know, victim is the wrong word, but but taking you from being someone that maybe feels helpless around the situation, oh, I just feel rubbish, or I just feel bloated, or I can't sleep, to okay, you feel that, but now what's your response to that? Are you going to take back some control of your sleep or your heart rate or your bloatedness or all those kind of things? Yeah, and I had a, I had a player in the past that uh, she was having so much a hard time, like just getting her heart rate, uh, resting heart rate down and just couldn't sleep. And for us, it had 
it, it was a, a trial and error of so many different things just to kind of have her understanding of what was the best thing for her. There's one thing, the one day that she's like, you know what, my best sleep, my best recovery was when I actually had a completely new set of sheets, clean sheets, and I felt so good sleeping in my bed. It was like the, the smell was good. So just that those little things that, you know, your brain, it's, you know, the way our brain works is crazy. So just kind of in our mind, just thinking that that's a purely physical thing and just hormones is we just have to go above and beyond and say, okay, what are the tiniest little things that you changed last day that you think that this change? Oh, I actually use magnesium to sleep. It was good. But to be honest, I was using magnesium and it was fine, but it was the sheets that actually got me to sleep so way better. So it's, it's just kind of try and error and be part of that process with them. And, and they get so excited because then even when they feel rested and they're like, I feel like I'm in the green. And it's like not even the number that they, they just feel it. And that's when you really want, you, you don't want them to be looking at the, the recovery and say green, you want them to, what do you feel? Is it green? What do you feel? Forget about the number. It's like, yeah, I actually feel great. Perfect. Forget about that number. Just focus on what made you feel better. Um, so I think yeah, education and, and, and kind of the holistic way, it's so important. Hmm. So is there any advice? So if a coach was listening, who's kind of starting to think about, you know what, actually, I want to maybe help empower some of my female athletes to, to take control and, and manage their menstrual cycle a bit better. Is there any advice you would give to them as to how to kind of go about that or, or anything you would point them towards to kind of upskill a bit? Yeah, I would say find the best time to bring that conversation. Because if you just come and, and kind of like out of the blue say, oh, have you seen this app? And then, you know, it, it helps monitor your cycle. And then that player is going to be like, okay, that was random. I think it's just a, take that, those little conversations outside of training or like in prehab, reactivation or post training. And when you're talking just about life and then there's something, there's always going to be something that it's going to correlate with recovery or what can they do better where you can just ask, so how is your cycle? Is it, is it regular? And then all of a sudden you open the box and you open the conversation and then you go and, and, and have that conversation. Cause I think we, a lot of coaches will try to force that and just say, you know, so let's talk about menstrual cycle. Okay. That was random. Uh, I think you have to get that trust first. You have to get the ability to be vulnerable with your athlete uh, to the point that, because I remember when I was a young, like very in the, the first two years of my career, I was EV uh, in training. And then there is, is the EV outside of training, which is the personal uh, what my personal life was completely separate than my professional life. Once I kind of blend that together, I was not afraid to show my players what is I, if I was dealing with something hard, I was like, oh yeah, I feel shit right now. This is what's happening. And you kind of open the trust. And I think that merging that personal professional life, of course, with limitations, what you say, but, um, but just kind of showing them that you're human. It, it opens that that trust and and that honesty that 
it's way easier for you to start a conversation like that, uh, especially if you're a if you're a male coach. Um, so I think what you said, just kind of be part of the process with the athlete, but build that trust first, rather than mm -hmm. just randomly trying to implement that. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty good advice for any kind of changes that you're trying to make training wise. You know, as a coach, it's, yeah. you know, if you come in all guns blazing like a bull in a china shop, you're probably going to get a bit of standoffish response or what you know where's that coming from but yeah it's just the importance of building that that coach athlete relationship and having trust as a bedrock is, is massive isn't it exactly 100 percent mm. so what's next for you in the in the next 12 to 18 months have you got any projects or any any interesting things happening on the horizon yeah so i i, I do a lot of side projects which i i actually realized that i it fuels my fire a lot which is mentoring coaches and and, and talking to young coaches so I try to dedicate a lot of the, 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 not a lot of free time that I have, but the, the hours that I have to just kind of mentor coaches. And if that's going for a coffee with one of them and just kind of guide them through, um, just kind of use my experience to guide them through it. Uh, doing some cool projects with FIFA uh, and the pilot program, a mentorship program with FIFA, which has been amazing. Uh, we just started last month um, and yeah and I think the bottom line is I think the more that I try to empower athletes empower coaches that's what you know makes me happy um, so I try to do that every day um, when I go to work when I do my my site projects so yeah it's been working a lot on on, on building a course and building some programs for athletes so hopefully when I I have some more time to, to dedicate to it. It's going to be out and it's going to be quite exciting. Cool. Fantastic. So where can people find out more about some of your side projects yourself and your kind of work? Where, where should they head? Yeah. So um, I have a website, evicasagrande.com, uh, where I, post, I put some of my events, uh, the Coach Empowerment Network, which was a, a free uh, set of events that I started uh, six months ago that I tried I'm on a hiatus now, but it's going to come back. It was very cool. So all the information is there. And a lot of the stuff that I post is on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty accessible there if people want to, to get in touch and just send a mess, message. It might be a, a while since I'm able to respond, but I, I always try to respond to everybody. Well, thanks so much again for your time. I think it's been a really important conversation to, to have around empowering athletes to, to kind of manage their menstrual cycle. And hopefully people can take away some tools and maybe look a bit more into the, some of those breathing protocols or some of the other things you've mentioned to, to maybe try out or, or give to their athletes to try out. So thanks so much for your time. I know it's a, it's a hectic schedule. So best of luck for, uh, for preseason and the season ahead. Thank you so much, Robin. Thanks again for the invitation. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a number of simple things you can do to help support the podcast. First, hit subscribe on your chosen podcast player so you're kept up to date with the latest episode releases. Second, you can leave us a review to help us reach more coaches and parents like yourself. Third, you can send this episode on to a coach or friend to help spread the word. And then fourth, you can find us on social media.